As you'll hear in this episode, I often forget to pack my lunch, but luckily I always have an Alley's bar in my bag. And they're great. They taste like real food and are energy packed. Get yours at alleysbar.com, A-L-L-Y-S-B-A-R.com. Use promo code HEARHER for 50% off and free shipping. Welcome to Hear Her Sports. I'm Elizabeth Emery, and thanks for listening. In this week's episode, I speak to Sam Blusky, a full-time assistant cross-country and track coach at the University of Toledo in Ohio. I particularly recommend this episode to high school athletes who are planning to continue competing in college. Sam has some great insight into the recruitment process and also the life of a college athlete. Sam is also an elite marathoner running 100 to 120 miles a week. She talks about balancing all that stuff and her new sponsor, Rabbit, a women-owned running apparel company. So here's Sam. Hello. Hey, Sam. Hi, how are you? Uh, Good. Do, Do you call yourself Sam or Samantha? Sam is totally fine. Okay, great. Well, welcome to Hear Her Sports. I really appreciate you being a guest. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell me what you're doing right now? All right. Well, my name is Samantha Blusky, and I am currently um, the assistant cross country and track and field coach at the University of Toledo. Um, I just finished up my third year here in that role. Um, Along with coaching, I recently signed my first contract with Rabbit. Um, So I'm still training and competing, focusing on the marathon um, while I'm coaching. Yeah, I read about Rabbit, and I think that's really exciting, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Why don't we start, though, with um, how you started running? Well, I started running when I was in sixth grade. So my dad uh, is in the military, and he used to train for his PT tests. So one day, he convinced me to go along on a run with him. We have a trail in this little town I grew up in. It's about a mile around. So you know, that day, I remember vividly, I remember exactly what I was wearing. I remember he was trying to correct my form. He was telling me I was carrying my arms too high. Um, But I remember everything about that run. And I was instantly hooked. Uh, And then in seventh grade, I realized that I was not cut out to play volleyball. (laughs) And so my other option was to run cross country. Uh, So I was there were only two sports at your school for girls. Yes. So (laughs) I actually, I grew up in a town of 200 people. So it's a very small rural town in Wisconsin. Um, And I actually moved right before seventh grade since my dad was in the military. And I thought it was like the worst thing my parents ever did to me because they took us from a town of 200 people to a town of 2000 people. And it was like major culture shock in my mind. <laughs> um, and so I was like the new girl in middle school and I really wanted to try running, but I was like way too shy to show up to practice on my own. Um, so I finally did. I remember the first day and the coach was like the nicest guy ever. And the team was so small that they we practiced seventh grade through twelfth grade all at one time. And I think there were maybe ten to twelve girls out, you know, in those six grades. So pretty small, but I was instantly hooked, loved it. I just loved the competition and going out there and trying to beat other people. Tell me a bit of, a little bit about that coach because he sounds uh, sounds like a good guy. Yeah, so Mr. B was my coach from seventh grade um, until the time I graduated high school. And, you know, he's a main reason I think I kept a love of the sport for so long. Um, Now as a college coach, I look at some girls that I recruit and so many of them are training like college athletes before they even get to college. Um, But he kept the atmosphere so fun and Like, I never, like, I never didn't want to go to practice. I couldn't wait to go to practice every day. I think he coached for almost 40 years. He was recently inducted into the Wisconsin High School Coaches Hall of Fame. Um, And he says he's going to retire, like, five times, and he never does. Um, But he always believed in me, always, like, pushed me to do good things. But yet he kept training fun, which is so essential at, you know, at a young age. 
do you think that uh, running at a collegiate level in high school can burn uh, athletes out? I, I do think it can. Um, you know, I went to college with some girls who were running, you know, 60, 70 miles a week before they even got to college. And it takes a huge mental toll um, and physical toll on your body. Um, you know, I'm also a huge advocate for young athletes in middle school and high school to be multi-sport athletes. I don't think specialization in just running at a very young age is necessarily the best thing for you. I think when you're young, you should explore different things and be a part of different teams. And, you know, I think you learn a lot of valuable characteristics by playing other sports. And then it keeps running more fun for a longer amount of time without getting burnt out. Don't you think that's hard, though, with the current way that sports are in, in high school with the, you know, the high school team and then all the traveling teams? Yeah, I, I think it is hard. Um, you know, in the area I grew up in, it was really easy just because we didn't have many opportunities um, in terms of like outside of outside of the high school system, there weren't a ton of traveling opportunities unless I wanted to, you know, have my parents drive me 60 miles each way to be on a traveling basketball team. So I do think it could be hard, but I also think that it is possible. I still recruit plenty of athletes who play basketball in the winter um, and then run during the fall and spring. I currently have a girl, a freshman on my team now that played soccer in the fall, ice hockey in the winter, and then ran track in the spring. And so she never even ran a cross country season until she got to college. So it is hard, but I also think that it's something that we should, you know, promote. And when I have kids of my own, I'm not going to push them to specialize. I'm going to encourage them to try lots of different activities and sports teams while they're young. And, you know, it helps with injury prevention. It helps with development. Um, so yes, it's hard, but I wish it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we, it, that's great. We've, we've zipped right into sort of coaching all the coaching issues and questions I have. So let's keep talking about that. Um, what are you looking for when re you're recruiting? Gosh, so much of it is personality. Um, you know, I tell a lot of the athletes that I'm recruiting, I would rather take a girl that's maybe run 10 seconds slower, but has the right personality and the right fit um, over the girl that's maybe run 10 seconds faster, but maybe doesn't necessarily have um, the right personality to be really good at the next level. Um, you know, I look for the girl that's not afraid to put her head down and work hard. Um, a, because that's, you know, that's what I'm going to attract at the school I'm currently at. We're not going to attract the Foot Locker All-Americans, the New Balance National Champions. Like, as much as I wish those girls would look at Toledo right away, like, I'm also realistic and know that that's not necessarily the girl we're going to get. And I'm fine with that because I want the girl that's going to be gritty, who's not afraid of working hard, who's going to buy into a team environment and be a team player. Um, because at the end of the day, um, yes, running is an individual thing. You know, it's you have to be internally motivated um, to be successful at this sport. But successful cross country teams at the collegiate level have this team chemistry that, like, it can't be taught. It's just something that's developed um, when you find the right athletes who have the right goals and the right mindset. Um, when they all come together, that team synergy is just unbelievable. Are you doing anything? during practices to promote that? I mean, doesn't that kind of stuff come from the top also? Yeah. Um, I mean, leadership, you know, everything comes from the top. Um, a lot of it, you know, it, it, begin, it begins in the recruiting process, um, pinpointing the right type of girls, the right mentality. Um, and, you know, if Coach Wynn, um, my boss and myself, if we're doing our job and, you know, our homework in recruiting, um, you know, hopefully we get the right girls on campus in the first place. Um, I personally don't like to do like force team bonding activities just because at the end of the day, it's their team um, and they need to take responsibility of their team. Um, and, you know, they 
our girls want to, you know, they want to have pancake Sundays after long runs and, you know, they want to go out to the movies on a Thursday night and, you know, bond over that type of thing where I don't like, I haven't had to be the one to like force them to do it. That's just something they want to do naturally. Um, and I think that's because, you know, in the recruiting process, the women on the team currently take it really serious because they want to be successful and, you know, they want to make sure that anybody that we bring into our family is a really good fit personality wise. And so it it becomes a natural thing. Um, Your athletes are involved in the recruiting process too. Yes. So um, all the initial upfront recruiting comes from coach Wynn and I, so we start calling, um, you know, potential student athletes during their junior year. Um, We might bring them onto campus for an unofficial visit during their junior year. But then the cool thing is during their senior year, they get to come back to campus. They can do um, five different official visits. And in an official visit, they get to stay in the dorms with the girls. They get to pretty much be a student athlete for 48 hours. Um, So they don't, like the way we set up our official visits at Toledo is they don't actually spend that much time with the coaching staff because hopefully we've done our work on the front end during the summer and gotten to know them. We may have watched them run a few times. We may have gone and done a home visit with them and their family. So they know us pretty well, but like the main goal of our official visits are for them to really get to know the women on the team to see if they're going to be a fit for us. And, um, you know, so That's when they, like I said, spend the night in the dorms with the girls. They might do some sort of like team bonding activity. They like to go to the apple orchard in the fall. So those types of things happen on the recruiting visit. So they really get to be a part of the team for 48 hours to see if that, you know, recruiting is a two-way street. Like, you know, it's the first time those girls get to pick their family for the next four years when in high school you're just kind of are stuck with whoever comes out and um you know and our girls get to know these potential recruits as well i read a one of your blog posts and you talk about the word sacrifice i'm, I'm quoting mm-hmm. you here the word sacrifice should never be in your vocabulary when you're a d1 athlete because you choose yes. to be an athlete at this level can you talk about that a little bit Yeah, I actually got that from uh, my college coach my fifth year. Uh, So I think it's really important, you know, in D1 athletics, you have to live a very different lifestyle than the typical college or typical college student. Um, And in the recruiting process, we're really upfront with um, the women we're recruiting and they know our expectations and, um, you know, You can't live a double life as a D1 athlete if you want to be successful. And so, you know, even I, I tell myself this as I continue to train, um, when you choose to be an athlete at a high level, everything comes down to choices. You, you don't make sac like I'm trying to explain this. In my opinion, nothing's a sacrifice because you chose to be a part of a team. You chose to be wearing the Toledo jersey and represent not only yourself, but your teammates, your coaches, the administration, the school as a whole. And so everything you do on a daily basis is a choice to become a better athlete. Nothing is a sacrifice because of that initial choice you made. It sounds like you really like to coach. Yes, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And and you were also the team captain, which uh, when I was reading about that, it sounds like that was the birth of your interest in coaching. Is that true? Yeah. So, um, you know, I went through four years of college and I was still a little unsure of what I wanted to do once I graduated. Um, and there was a coaching change during my in between my fourth and my fifth year of college. And during that year, we got in a young, energetic, um, driven female coach who really changed my life and kind of helped me um, find a direction. So during that fall, she made me a team captain. And 
I always loved the recruiting process as a student athlete. Like I was always asking to host recruits as like a junior when typically it's the freshmen that recruit and do the hosting. Um, but I loved it. Um, I love meeting new people, interacting with people. And so it was during, I think it was right after fall semester, my senior year or my fifth year, she asked me if I'd ever thought about coaching and I had it, um, but I had also brought it up in front of a former coach, um, and he told me not to get into the profession, which I was like really taken back by because I thought I wanted to be a coach. Um, what was his reason? He didn't really go into it. Um, he, I, a lot of people have told me that it's it's obviously extremely hard to balance the life of being a female coach and um, like wanting to start a family. It's extremely hard. And that's why a lot of females get out of the profession. Um, I think a lot of the young women initially get into the profession just because they don't know what else to do at that point. And it's kind of like a filler of time um, while you're trying to figure out what you want to do for your career long term. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like a natural thing to be drawn to just because you've been a runner your entire life and you've been through the college system. And it just kind of seems like a natural next step. Um, and people don't necessarily realize the time commitments and um, the lifestyle of a division one coach. And to be honest, I didn't necessarily know and understand a hundred percent until I was thrown into it. Um, but what did excite me was having a female coach who had kids, had a family. Um, she was very successful. She took a team that, you know, was dead last in their conference meet to eighth in the country within five years. Um, and so being able to see her succeed and have a family um, gave me hope and, you know, made me really excited about the profession. And, you know, I like to prove people wrong. So that's just part of my personality. So when people tell me that it's hard to do something, I want to say, well, let me show you wrong and I'm going to do it and do it 10 times better. <laughs> so, um, you know, she's... I, I give her like, you know, I thank her still today, like for putting that idea in my head and kind of taking me under her wing um, and really mentoring me during my fifth year of college and right, you know, as I graduated college until I got my first job, um, you know, she's continued to teach me a lot. <laughs> it's not to state the obvious, but it's so important for women to have women role models. Yes. It is. And, you know, it's so sad to see, like, we go to these NCAA conventions, um, track and field conventions in December. And, you know, there's, it's like 90% male coaches there and like 10% female coaches. And then, you know, I'm still very young in the profession. And, you know, I'm still young and energetic and, you know, I'm determined to make it work, you know, as I decide to like get married and start a family and all those things, which are very big priorities for me in my life. Um, you know, I'm right now like determined that like, it's going to work, I'm going to make it work, but it is really hard. Um, so to have those other female role models is essential because they've been through it. They know what it's like to have a newborn baby and, you know, leave and go on the road for seven days straight. And so, um, to see how they've done it and made it work with their families is really crucial. Have you been able to talk to those female coaches and at the conferences and get advice or just, you know, meet them and chat? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's been super helpful. Um, um, they do like a women's round table. Um, so you get a chance to meet a lot of different women, um, you know, where I have, um, I have a few main contacts that I typically reach out to one being my college coach. And there's another one out East that I really look up to, you know, she had a professional professional running career and then tra that translated into college coaching and now she's a director of a program has a newborn baby um and it's not easy by any means like she struggles um but to see her be successful and keep 
you know, working through those challenges has, you know, that gives me hope and motivation to keep working hard. So it's nice to have that, um, that sense of community in the coaching world. You talked about how demanding the coaching that you're doing is. Can you talk about maybe what your days are like, or, you know, maybe turn it into what your seasons are like, because I expect it's sort of cyclical. Yeah, it it totally is. Um, Typically during the school year, you know, as a program, we like, um, we like to stay on a very similar schedule. Everything's about routine, especially with college athletes. Um, it just makes a transition a lot easier if everything is pretty predictable in terms of their schedules. Um, so typically a week, um, you know, Mondays we lift in the morning, we practice in the afternoon, Tuesdays we practice in the morning, um, Wednesdays, we lift in the morning, practice in the afternoon. Thursday, we have afternoon practice. Friday, we go back to morning. Saturday, I'm typically out recruiting, um, going to some local high school races, or we might have an official visit weekend. And so if we have an official visit weekend, you know, you're pretty much on your A game um, for about 48 hours. And we typically bring in four to six um, athletes at a time and their parents um, for those visits. So um, cross country, we do a lot less traveling. We're usually only competing every other weekend. And then during spring semester, um, we typically travel a lot more. We're racing almost every weekend. We're at least traveling every weekend. But our, you know, our girls might be on different race schedules where they might be racing like every other weekend or so. Um, And then this summer is basically recruiting. Like I just got back from being on the road for 19 days straight. Um, a few of those days were personal going home, visiting my parents. Cause I don't get to do that often. Um, and then, you know, recruiting four or five days at high school nationals, going out to USA juniors for seven days. And so, and then July one recruiting really gets into a full swing where we start doing home visits. Um, and having girls on campus a lot more often. So, you know, I always thought <laughs> until my first year of coaching, um, the summers would be pretty low key, but I was totally wrong. They're very, very busy. Um, June is probably my busiest month. <laughs> That's a lot of travel. Do you like it? Yes. Being young, it's a lot of fun. It's difficult trying to train at the same time. If I wasn't still trying to run competitively, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> but I, you know, I've been given so many opportunities to see places that I've never seen before and meet a ton of new people. So, you know, for me, it's a lot of fun. I'm young, I'm single, and it's easy for me to pick up and leave for 15 days. You know, it'll be a little harder as I get older and more established. But right now, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> so, how do you fit in your own training? Oh, (laughs) gosh, it's hard. It helps that, you know, we like to keep our athletes on a routine. And so uh, my school year routine is different from my summer routine. I am typically trying to run 100 to 120 miles a week on top of coaching. And so I do my hard workouts on Thursday and Sunday, and then I long run on Tuesdays. Um, The nice thing is, is I have 25 women to run with on like their easy recovery days. I don't like to work out with them, partially because my workouts are very different than theirs. And I think that I need to be watching their workouts rather than like doing them with them. But I sneak in extra mileage by running off days with them. So any of their recovery days, which is really great because you get to know a lot about your athletes um, during a 60 minute run (laughs) because running is just, you know, feel like everything comes out when you're running. You learn if they're having a bad week or, you know, if they're struggling in one of their classes. Um, It's just a lot easier to talk during those runs. It also helps that I have an extremely understanding boss. So 
you know, as long as I'm getting my work done, he's okay with me showing up to the office at 930 in the morning rather than 830 or 8am so that I can get my runs done in the morning. And he's on this awesome running streak. And so he's run every day for like seven and a half years. So I can always convince him to go on an afternoon run when I'm lacking motivation. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) So so what kind of pace are you doing on the easy runs with the team? Oh, probably anywhere from like 6.50 to 7.30 mile pace. It's just kind of dependent on the day and where we're training. We do basically all of our mileage on trails. Um, We're really fortunate here in Toledo to have a great metro park system. And so we're rarely running on concrete. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to judge how fast you're running in there because GPS watches don't like single track trails and all that. But typically like I'd say 6.50, yeah, 6.50 to 7.30, usually closer to the like, I'd say on average, probably like 7 to 7.10 pace. And are you also lifting? Um, I don't lift with the team. Um, I'm just there with supervision type thing. So I do my own strength core stuff on the side. What, What are you doing for that? Um, I just do a lot of like body weight injury prevention, um, type stuff. So a lot of core, um, just some light lifting, like with dumbbells and squats, that type of thing. Nothing, nothing too serious. Hurdle mobility, hip bands. So do you do anything to strengthen the hip lateral movement? Cause I know that running is so, you know, it's just forward. There's no side to side motion at all. Yes. So, um, hurdle mobility helps a lot with that. Um, and you know, in general, a lot of female athletes coming out of high school are extremely weak in the hip complex. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I was introduced to right away as a freshman in college and, uh, have kind of stayed on that routine. I'm not quite as good now as I was when I was in college and had a lot more structure in my training. Um, but hurdle mobility has helped a lot and like hip band routines. Um, those help a lot with hip mobility and hip flexibility. I recently learned that the hip strength affects your knees and can really (laughs) bugger up your knees if you don't have proper strength. Yes, the IT bands, all everything is interrelated. <laughs> one weakness in like weakness in one area eventually causes, you know, breaking down in another area. So making basically a lot of our weight and strength um, sessions are, like I said, injury prevention, just making sure we're um, strong overall as an athlete. Just like you said, since running is just such a forward movement. <laughs> You have a coach, correct? I do, yes. And I understand that you've had that same coach for quite a while. Yes. And so I had a really interesting college career. Um, I had three college coaches in five years. And so there was not a lot of consistency. Um, The one great thing is, is I learned a lot having three different coaches who had three different you know, three different philosophies. Um, looking back now that I'm a coach, it's, that was very beneficial as an athlete. Having three coaches in five years is not very beneficial. And so I've currently been working with my coach for, let's see, a little over two years, which for me is the longest I've had a coach since high school, like one, the same coach. And so we work really great together. It is a little difficult. He's in Texas and I'm in Ohio. But personality wise, it's exactly he's like exactly what I need. He understands that I have a very hectic schedule and I have to make changes on the fly. And, you know, I might hit, you know, a week stretch where I'm just so burnt out from traveling and recruiting that I just need to scratch workouts and just run. Why do you need a coach? You are a coach. Um, Because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I can, I have, I can talk myself into doing some really stupid things. Um, I'm so glad you said that because I read that in your blog and I just love that statement. You know, you have that like irrational side of your brain that like, 
you know, last spring, like I knew it was really dumb, but I went, I did like back to back 20 mile runs. I was like out in Eugene and I was super bored, didn't have a lot going on. And one day I got up and went for a 20 mile run. And the next day I got up super early because I still wasn't adjusted to time change. I did another 20 mile run. And I look at that and I'm like, you know what? I would never, ever, ever let an athlete do that. Like I would tell them that's stupid. And you know, but I was able to talk myself into it. And so (laughs) Yeah, I need a coach. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I tried to make it work. I went about seven or eight months without a coach um, right when I moved to Toledo. And then it was easy because I wasn't racing. I was just kind of running and trying to figure out this whole like coach career, like how do I incorporate my own running into it? And so it was easy then. But then as soon as I raced again for the first time and that crazy switch kind of went back on, I I knew instantly that I needed somebody there um, who would give me the structure and, you know, talk some sense into me when I was being extremely irrational, which happens kind of frequently. <laughs> what I also like about having a coach is that it takes the decision-making process away. So all you have to do is do the workout and you don't have to sort of like, should I do eight or six intervals or, you know, whatever it is. Yes. And that, that has been extremely helpful. And, you know, where it is nice, like we're to the point where, you know, I might have 12 by a K written down at a certain pace and, you know, I'm just having like an off day and I have to cut it at 10, you know, so having that coaching background and knowledge is good so that when I need to make decisions like that, I can do it. But I don't have to write my own training and make my own decisions. Um, It's really nice just to, you know, be sent a schedule and just do what's on the paper. (laughs) Uh, What is your coaching philosophy? You mentioned that you really liked having so many coaches in college so that you got a taste of a bunch of different kinds. Yeah. um, You know, I'm young and I think I'm still working on like my own personal philosophy. You know, coaching is, it's only part science. I think if you do enough research and read enough books, uh, you know, you can, you can, anybody can write workouts. I think a lot of coaching and is about the relationships that you form and that mentorship that you can form with your student athletes you know, your four years in college are extremely critical. A lot of life changes happen during those four years. And so I think just being a solid um, mentor for those young women is extremely crucial. I don't think that's really necessarily a philosophy, but that's kind of my, you know, what I feel my role is. And then in terms of training, it's, you know, I like to take a four or five year approach to somebody's training. If I get a girl in as a freshman, like she shouldn't be running her fastest times as a freshman. So much of it is in training and distance running is consistency over a period of time. And so, you know, first and foremost, keeping your athletes healthy so that they can train consistently and not get burnt out. You know, you can't, you know, increase intensity and volume at the same time, because that's a recipe for disaster. And so, you know, being able to take a long term approach with my student athletes is extremely important. How do you get them through or how do you get yourself through low times? You know, you talk about the long term (laughs) approach, and you're always going to have those bad months. Exactly. You know, I think it helps that I'm not super far removed from being in their position. And I had a very roller coaster of a career. I had some extremely low points in my career where I thought that, you know, I never wanted to run again. And, you know, then I had some extremely high points. And, you know, my advice to them is always don't let your highs be too high and don't let your lows be too low. So much about distance running is just finding that even keel in the middle and being able to grind out in the low times. And that's why having a team and a supportive coach is so important because everybody is going to hit a low. No matter how good you are, no matter what point you are in your career, you're going to hit a low at some point, whether it's your freshman year or your junior year, something will happen. And you know, you may second guess whether running is the right thing for you or, you know, all of that. And just making sure like those, 
that's where like those relationships are so important and knowing that you can lean on your teammates and lean on your coach during those moments and also know that like you're not alone like you're not the first person to be in this situation and you won't be the last person to go through that situation I think that's extremely important what are your own goals for running oh goodness (laughs) um I I want to run 232 in the marathon. That's like my next goal. You're pretty close to that. I've run 236. Yeah. Um, so this past December, I ran 236, you know, and I know there are things that I need. I can be smarter about both in my training and in my daily life to help make that next step. You know, the faster you want to run, the more disciplined you need to be. And so my, you know, my next my next main goal is 232. So, you know, hopefully I can do that in the next two to four years. And, you know, my ultimate goal would be to break 230. So, and do that while coaching and, you know, trying to live this hectic life. (laughs) Yeah. How are you, how are you going to make that happen with a full-time schedule? Um, you know, it's all about routine. I, I'm a firm believer if you really love what you are doing, you can make it work. And, you know, it goes back to just making the right choices on a daily basis, surrounding yourself with people who are supportive and want to see you success, succeed is really important. And, you know, I have, you know, a great coach. I have mentors. I have an awesome boss, you know, family and close friends who are extremely supportive and they know my goals, both professionally in my career as a coach and what I want to do as a runner. And so, you know, knowing that I have that support system around me and, you know, rabbit has been awesome and, you know, having that around me, I think is going to help a ton. You mentioned your coaching goals. What are your coaching goals? You know, eventually I one day want to be director of my own program. I think a lot of people in my position want that one day. You know, a lot of young coaches have the goal of, you know, making it to a power five conference and that type of thing. And I don't necessarily like I'm not like I'm not necessarily motivated by that. I think, um, you know, be working with the right people. And if you're at a school that has a very supportive athletic department, you can reach almost any of your goals professionally. You know, I never brought home an NCAA trophy um, in cross the top four teams get trophies. I never brought the one home myself as an athlete. And so to be able to coach a team to that, it would be the ultimate goal. Are you expecting any to encounter any blockages because you're a female? Um, to be honest, it's actually probably the opposite. There is a high need of female coaches in the NCAA coaching system. I think the main thing is, is like making sure I don't put myself into positions that I'm not ready for because that can put a halt in your career. And so making sure that I'm patient and I really think out each career move that I make as a female is extremely important since females can move up a little quicker than males typically in the profession. All right. Well, let's, let's move on. I want to hear about uh, rabbit gear and how that happened and you know, what they're like and how that whole process works. Yeah. So right after I ran 236, a friend of mine told me about Rabbit. He's living training in Flagstaff and he met um, one of the co-founders, Jill. And he, we were talking one day and he was like, you know what? You should reach out to Jill. I can give you her contact info. I just think personality wise, you would get along great. And, you know, he thought that I had a lot of the attributes that they were looking for in athletes. And so I reached out to her and probably right before, right after Christmas. And at that point, they weren't taking any more athletes on because they're a newer company and their funding was like, you know, you can't bite off more than you can chew as you're starting a new company, which was totally fine. But Jill and I got along great. And then in March, she reached out to me and 
um, asked me if I was still interested in a possible sponsorship with their company. And I mean, it was basically a no brainer. (laughs) You know, Jill is, I mean, she's an overall badass, excuse my language. She is young. She's driven. She, um, she is, um, she's a lawyer. She's a runner herself who has big goals and she co-founded this company who, and I mean, they've really taken off over the past year and a half. And for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm not in running for the money. I know that I'm not fast enough to, you know, make a career out of it and, you know, support myself off of it. It's more about finding a community of people who you can go through the journey with. And Rabbit was exactly that. I felt like, you know, they're a smaller company and they were truly invested in me as a person. Like, I mean, heck, they signed me to a contract when I had a stress fracture. And so that to me showed a lot that they, you know, they care about me as a person beyond my running success. Like, obviously, I (laughs) hopefully I run fast for them and represent them well. But I just felt like they, you know, they were going to support me no matter what. And that you know, that meant the world to me because, you know, I think that lack of community was something I was kind of missing. And I was really struggling with it earlier in the year. Marathon training is lonely. You know, it's a lot of hours out running by yourself and, you know, it can, it can take a toll on you. And so even though Jill is out in Santa Barbara and I'm in Ohio, like I know that she's a hundred percent behind me and it, it gives me purpose beyond myself. I like that. How does the contract work and what are your obligations to them and their obligations to you? Yeah, so I signed an 18-month contract with them and they help me with travel to races. They provide me with all the gear I need. It's a apparel-only sponsorship, so I'm allowed to go out and get um, my own shoe sponsorship if I would like, or um, like I could do a nutrition supplement type sponsorship as well on top of it. But yeah, so they, they just help support me financially so that I can continue to train and pursue my dreams. The cool thing is, is they're, you know, these two women, Monica and Jill, they're runners themselves and they're the ones designing the gear and the products. And, you know, so it's a lot of fun because they are firsthand runners designing everything and it's all made in the U.S. Since they're newer, they look for our feedback and all the gear, which has, you know, been really good to help them make you know, make their gear better every year. And how do you stay connected? You, you talked about the community. So how are you connecting with them? Yeah, so um, it, it's funny. I actually just met Jill in person for the first time last week um, out at uh, the USA Championships. So before that, it was just a lot of, you know, talking on the phone. Honestly, we text a lot, um, which is great. I don't, you know, like, it's not like the co-founder of Brooks is going to text their athletes every day. You know, you just can't do that in a really big company. Um, but in a smaller company like this, like you have that personal communication. Um, like last Friday I did her workout with her out in Sacramento and did a long run with her on Sunday. Um, And so being able to do those types of things together is really great. And it it truly shows that she's invested in her athletes and, you know, on every level. One more topic I want to ask about your nutrition degree and how you're using that in your coaching or your own life. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I, you know, I, I got into nutrition during my sophomore year of college, partially because you know, I grew up, you know, you, you cleaned your plate, you ate whatever was on your plate. We were a meat potato type of family, which is great. Um, but then I got to college and I, I just honestly didn't know what I was doing. And it never clicked in my mind that the things you put into your body could in, impact how you ran. And this didn't dawn on me until like halfway through my freshman year and I'm eating dorm food all the time and not really knowing what I'm doing. And so I decided to start taking some nutrition courses so that I could learn for my own running. And it, 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 I got into it mainly because it was challenging and I, like I knew it could benefit my running, but I knew I never actually wanted to be a dietitian. And it really has helped, you know, as a coach, to be honest, 
I don't talk to my athletes that much about nutrition. Um, we have a nutritionist on our athletic department staff, and I think it's better for her to talk with our athletes and walk our athletes through what they should and shouldn't be doing in terms of nutrition, just because I think there's a really fine line, you know, with female distance runners and it can easily be crossed. And I, I don't ever want to cross that line. And so it's good to have that background knowledge and, you know, I can help them, but I don't like to get too in depth with my athletes regarding nutrition. I assume you're talking about the line of eating disorders. Yes. Do you have a lot of problems with that? Yeah. Um. To be honest, you know, I think every, I think it's like one in 12 college athletes. I mean, I, I could be off on the statistic, but recently I read somewhere one in 12 college athletes, female college athletes has an eating disorder. And so it's inevitable that it's going to happen on your college team at some point. The main thing is, is, you know, not letting it spread because it can be a very contagious thing if, you know, if you see a girl on your team who has an eating disorder and she's running faster and then, you know, younger women can be like, well, if I, you know, lose a pound or two here or there, like I'm going to run faster too. And so it, it, it's something that you need to be very aware of, but we are very lucky here that we haven't had issues as like a team, like it being like a team culture issue. And uh, what's your favorite thing to cook and eat? Ooh, gosh. Okay. I really love my mom's lasagna. (laughs) I cannot cook it like she does, but that's probably one of my favorite foods. Um, For me personally, I'm, I'm pretty plain, it goes back to me just getting in a routine. I really like doing like stir fried vegetables with like salmon or chicken. I really like sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes are like a big staple in my diet along with hard boiled eggs because they're quick and easy and cheap and they're really nutritious. So if I'm at home though and I got to pick one food for my mom to cook for me, it would for sure be her lasagna. Do you have a routine for your food in the sense that you have the same thing for breakfast or for lunch every day? Um, not uh, breakfast. Yes. A lot of it's just like making sure you plan throughout the day because, you know, when I am running 100 to 120 miles, if I'm not fueling properly throughout the day, like it really affects you later on. And so and when you're really busy at work, it's really easy just to kind of get caught up and forget. And so I find myself snacking a lot. And so I just make sure to, you know, pack nutritious snacks to have throughout the day. I'm a big, like I said, hard boiled egg, yogurt and granola. You know, I usually have some cliff bars in my backpack as some uh, backup snack. You know, usually every morning I like oatmeal, but I doctor it up with peanut butter and granola and some fresh fruit maybe. And so I kind of stick to the same routine, but Basically, I use like Sunday as my planning day and I try to do all my grocery shopping and meal prep that day to get me through the week. Okay, I want to I want to like dig deep into this one because I think this is a huge for me. It's a huge problem. I tell you, I go to the studio. I'm an artist. I go to the studio and Mm -hmm. every time I go to the studio, I say, oh, I'm not going to be hungry for lunch today. I mean, like every time. Like, (laughs) so tell me what happens on Sunday. Like what specifically are you doing and how are you planning and are you packing up little Tupperwares? Yeah, so um, typically on Sunday, it's our long run day at practice. And so afterwards, you know, I have two places that I like to go for my groceries. Um, we have Monette's, and the way I describe it is an indoor farmer's market that's open year round. And so I go there for a lot of my fresh produce, and then I'll usually go over to Kroger. And so, like this past semester, I would try to make like a crock pot meal every Monday. And so I would buy all those ingredients on Sunday, make a big crock pot meal. And then that would usually last me three or four days as leftovers, either for lunch or for dinner. Otherwise I'll make, um, I'll sometimes I'll like make separate ingredients. Like I'll make a bunch of quinoa on Sundays and then, you know, use it throughout the week to put in different dishes or on Sunday, I'll cut up all my fresh produce so that, you know, when I get home on Monday night, I, or Tuesday night, I just have to like throw it in a pan with some olive oil, throw some chicken in there rather than, 
you know, I'm totally guilty of getting home at seven o'clock and being absolutely starving and just eating whatever I can find in the kitchen if I don't plan ahead on Sunday. <laughs> and and for for lunch every day you bring, you know, a bag with stuff in it. Um, yes. And so, you know, I am guilty of forgetting sometimes. And that's when I typically order Jimmy John's or something for lunch. (laughs) But yeah, I try to pack my lunches as much as possible, whether it's some leftovers from my crockpot meal, or, you know, sandwiches, hard boiled eggs, yogurt, cliff bars, you know, I usually try to keep like snack size hummus things in my fridge in the office. I have a fridge in the office, which helps a ton. So sometimes I'll just go to Sam's Club and buy like a bunch of like smaller individual size stuff to keep in there so that, you know, I don't find myself at two o'clock absolutely starving and just trying to, you know, find whatever I can eat before going to practice at 3.30. Cool. I think I'm going to adopt some of that for my own, <laughs> my own lunches. Well, Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. I love talking about coaching. That was exciting. Yes. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. And, and, you know, anytime I can share, you know, more about, you know, I think, like I said earlier, it, there aren't enough women in coaching. And, you know, I'm still young in it, I know. But hopefully, you know, I can share my experience with other people and more women are encouraged to get into the profession. I'm glad you said that. I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough. <laughs> there aren't enough. Well, thank you very much and good luck for the rest of the summer. Thank you, Elizabeth. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Hey, sign up for the newsletter that I send out every other Thursday. It's filled with lots of excellent info and links to great stuff, including videos and suggestions from guests. Also a few explanatory links if you want to find out more about the guest sport. It'd be a great help if you went to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the podcast. I'm looking to spread the word and allow more female athletes to find the podcast. Thanks again. Thanks again. See you in a couple weeks. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!